You're listening to Football Philosophy and Rocket Science, a Cleveland Browns podcast, a show where a philosopher and a rocket scientist try to make sense of the Cleveland Browns. The Football Philosophy and Rocket Science podcast is a part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Elliot Kennel and Joel Cade. Hi, and welcome to Football Philosophy and Rocket Scientists. He is the left guard, Dr. Joel Cade, philosophy professor at The Left Guard. I'm the Village Elliot at TH Village Elliot. Together, we hope to offer unique perspectives on the hardest game in the universe, NFL football, and the strangest team to ever attempt to play at the Cleveland Browns. We do not claim to be the best analysts in the land nor do we claim to follow the best team in football by a long shot, but we are absolutely unique. And uh, uh, we uh, really are, or Joel really is a PhD in philosophy. And I really am a former Air Force specialist in space power and propulsion at beautiful Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, home of the deadliest fighting force in the world. And today we have some uh, interesting agendas, items to talk about. We're going to start talking about the uh, salary cap friendliness of the Cleveland Browns offense, the famous Stefanski offense, which I like, which Joel likes, and probably 90% of the fan base absolutely despises. And we're going to talk about how that might lead some credence to the otherwise inexplicable rumor that the Browns might, might be signing Ezekiel Elliott to a contract uh, for the Cleveland Browns. And then uh, speaking of contracts, we heard that there's some rumors that the Pittsburgh Steelers, or I guess they have signed a uh, third-string quarterback. We'll tell you about that and how that may uh, compare and contrast to the quarterback philosophy of the Cleveland Browns. But first, okay, let's go. uh, Let's uh, ask, uh, do we have any fan mail this week? We haven't had fan letters for a while, so we must have accumulated something, Joel. I think we've got... A couple pieces of fan mail here. Okay. All right, let me see what we got. We got one from Huggin' Hugh from Grambling, Louisiana. And Huggin' Hugh writes, Nice show, Joel and Elliot. But what the Browns lack is a strong attachment to their players. And it all starts with their coach, in my view, Stefanski. In addition to being a terrible play caller, is too wooden and unfriendly. Of course, no one wants to hug the quarterback. For obvious reasons. The Browns need a quarterback as well as a coach who is huggable. The Browns had <clears throat> had that a few years ago, but they let it all slip away. Yours truly, Hugging Hugh. Well, Thank you for the letter, Hugging Hugh. Yeah, what do you think about that? Hugging Hugh, uh, sounds like that might be Hugh Jackson. Is that possible? Uh, maybe. He's coming from Grambling, Louisiana. Grambling, but, Louisiana. I mean, quarter... Quarterbacks need hugs too, man. Like, like they sometimes nah, get hit. And uh, Baker Mayfield did not need no hugs. That was clear. He made that <laughs> very clear. And, uh, no he, hugs for Hugh. But um, yeah, we wish uh, Hugh Jackson well. I think he did get a raw deal in Cleveland. That's for sure. Uh, and I, I think he did make a mistake in trying to remain uh, personal friends with the team after he left and joined immediately a division rival and and, uh, in football, you just can't really let personal friendships transcend division rivalries. Those 
we don't want those to be too friendly. We want those I, to be kind of bitter, I think. Or at least I, I want you to clarify something for me, Elliot. Mm-hmm. How did Hugh Jackson get a raw deal in Cleveland? Is, is that what you said? Is that what you meant to say, that Hugh Jackson yeah. got a raw deal in Cleveland? Yeah, no, I, I do think he got a raw deal in the sense that uh, the Browns were in a uh, rebuilding period, mm-hmm. and they did not uh, draft the best teams uh, to the maximum extent that they could have. Um, they they deliberately uh, depleted the roster of veterans, uh, cleared salary cap room, and stockpiled draft picks, and so they did not give him the most talent that they could have. Now, I, I believe that that was the right move in general uh, by Sashi Brown. I am a advocate of the techniques that he used. I think he went uh, uh, too extreme in some cases and made moves that were actually not good football moves in order to save a small amount of money. He really gouged the team mm-hmm. of uh, some important uh, character pieces, namely uh, Joe Hayden. I don't think he should have uh, cut Joe Hayden the way he did and with uh, so much money uh, wasted and given him to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Essentially, that was a mistake that uh, a team just can't do that can I gift wrapped a capable player to a division rival like that? I think that was a appalling uh, football mistake, and he saved like $4 million by doing that. It was not worth it. Uh, that was a terrible mistake. But in general, I think um, Sashi Brown made the correct football move, but it worked against the uh, ability of the coach to field the best team. That's what I mean. Okay, so you're feeling like he got the raw deal because he wasn't handed, you know, talent at the level that other NFL teams were being handled. So because the Browns were basically tanking. Yeah, I think that they should have kept one veteran quarterback uh, rather than uh, stocking the roster with three uh, young quarterbacks. I think the uh, oldest in point of service was um, uh, Cody. Uh, <clears throat> help me out, Cody Kessler. Cody Kessler. Mm-hmm. He, he was in his second year, and they decided not to play him because he was too old. That was a mistake. Um, they okay. should have they should have kept somebody that was a veteran. You know, probably Brock Osweiler. I, I think Brock was not a good, not a great quarterback. But they should not have allowed the team to go zero and sixteen. That was appalling. It was not necessary. Well, I think there was some coaching, like to go zero and whatever in the NFL takes a couple things. One, some really bad coaching. Two, some really bad luck. And three, some really bad players. Now, somehow in the NFL at that time, where the NFL is built to be a completely, you know, um, what's what I'm looking for, equally balanced system. They'd work very hard to have a competitive balance system, which generally works. They somehow managed to have a vacuum of talent on the team. And I, I do think that hurt Hugh Jackson, but there were winnable games in that mm-hmm. process, and there were some inexplicably dumb things done by the head coach. Yes. So I think I think Owen sixteen was a group effort. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. True. All right, we do yeah. have another uh, male fan oh, mail here. Okay, excellent. It says um, no, I just know who it's from. So, dear boys, we saw your video about Elliot having a date with a Cincinnati Bengals cheerleader back in the day. See, I told you you're the most interesting man on the in the world. Hey, why don't you stay on your own turf? Oh, that's right. 
There are no Cleveland Browns cheerleaders. Why is that? Did all the attractive candidates move to Baltimore with Art Modell? I'm not liking this person. Mm, Better luck with the next team, boys. Yours truly, the Cincinnati Bengals cheerleaders. Oh, this is from the cheerleaders. Oh, man, that's rough. Oh. Yeah, well. uh... So clearly you made quite an impression because it, like, upset all the other cheerleaders. (laughs) Well, yeah, cheerleaders, you know, they're easily upset. I found that out. But um... You're a wanted man, Elliot. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Probably not one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, well, you know, actually the Browns did have cheerleaders one season. In the early 1970s, they did have uh, cheerleaders, and they didn't do very much. Um, I think they were um, uh, from a local high school, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, they wrapped them up in a nice warm cheerleaders uh, uniform. And uh, nobody really noticed them very much, and they were gone after one season. And uh, I, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that they were so forgettable that uh, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, even forgot that they were ever uh, part of the team. Art and Modell? I wasn't going to remember that. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, yeah. But you can what, go to hold on. You can go to my Twitter page. Check on my pinned Twitter tweets about my feelings about Art Modell. Yeah. Well, anyway, at the left guard. His wife had to remind him that they had uh, cheerleaders that one season in the early 1970s. Wow. It, it was that forgettable. Even, even uh, the famous man forgot about it. But, okay, yeah, well, I don't know. Well, I like, like, like cheerleaders. I, maybe I, they ought to find some way to, uh, to bring them back. Um, I, well, I we've got some we've, we've we've got some more fan mail. Let's let's see what else we got here. Okay, Double G from Excelsior Springs, Missouri writes, "Dang, Joel and Elliot, is that even your real name? By the way, you guys know you guys know a thing or two about football, but I have sixteen thousand four hundred forty-two defensive formations in my playbook, and you know what? You can blitz from each formation." Is that the key to success? The Browns need to blitz more. Blitz on every down. The NFL is so boring. If you want to watch exciting football, watch the exciting football on XFL, like the Washington Defenders. Now there is some intelligent football. None of this is Mamby Bambi cover two baloney. Get after the passer. Bring five. Bring six. Bring seven. Heck, I don't care. Bring all 11. Rush the quarterback. Oh, yeah, that was really ex- – if anybody saw that, if anybody watched uh, the uh, XFL, maybe I was the only one, but uh, our former head coach and defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, uh, came out of retirement and was the defensive coordinator for the uh, uh, Washington Defenders, and that's what he did. <laughs> he, he blitzed on every down. Did and, it work uh, for him? Well, it did, except that the the championship game, they uh, played a team that uh, uh, snuck into the playoffs with a losing record, and then they suddenly became unbeatable in the playoffs. Okay. And uh, the quarterback was uh, Jordan Te'amu. Remember him? Uh, no. He, well, he's, he was in uh, one of the, uh, 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 what do you call it, the professional leagues, uh, alternate leagues. 
previously and made it back to the NFL, and now he's in the XFL. But the key thing is that he's a mobile quarterback, and they couldn't catch him. Ah, so, so when they blitzed, he scrambled. Yeah, he scrambled away. <laughs> and so there they were with uh, blitzing on every play, and um, he just uh, ate up the the eight- and nine-man front every play. And uh, Jordan Tam, who was uh, like Johnny Unitas, man, he just completed every pass, and the defenders blew it on the championship game because the defense – you live by the sword and you die by the sword. But, yeah. but oh man, it was fun to see uh, Greg Williams back in action. I really liked that. Was he, was he playing that, that like angel in the outfield defense? Man, I don't know that they had anybody covering the receivers at all. They were all blitzing. <laughs> Everybody, you know, so blitzing this is like that. the Buddy Ryan defense then. Yeah, it's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, I think actually, I think that he might have uh, started his career uh, with Buddy Ryan. That'll be something we'll have to look up. I know. We'll I know up. Double G never really ran the uh, the forty six because the people teams figured out if you ran a pitch to the backside of the forty six that you're screwed. So <laughs> they they kind of just made the forty six uh, a specialty kind of defense yeah, yeah they, pro- they just about knocked out uh, jim mcmahon <laughs> after a while uh yeah all right so let's switch gears here elliot let's go right. to the offensive cap numbers let's talk about to the offensive cap and why the the stefanski offense is so interesting from a cap perspective in the nfl today it's not just about having the world's greatest team and uh, uh lining up our guys and being better than your guys uh, really, we, everybody knows that the the league is a uh, passing league, and therefore mm-hmm. it's a receiving league. I don't think that's any great mystery. Right. And so what you like to do, and especially if you play fantasy football, is you load up on the best quarterback you can find, and you get the best wide receivers you can find, and that's how you score fantasy points, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like that in the NFL also, except that you actually have to pay these guys. And um, in order to survive the salary cap, uh, you have to uh, manage your investments. And these uh, wide receivers make a lot of money. And if you want to have, you know, like the the, uh, old St. Louis Rams offense, where you have four wide receivers that can really go after the ball, you can't afford to pay four wide receivers. And uh, and then have also Marshall Falk in your backfield. That's very so you're hard. talking about the greatest show on turf offense, right? The greatest Kurt show Warner. on turf offense. Okay, is a fantastic offense, and it's also uh, unaffordable in uh, today's NFL. So uh, if you could figure out a way to you know maybe do that on all rookie contracts, it might be a very effective offense. But in general, I think, oh, let me interject for a second. I think that's what the Bengals are doing right now. They got Burrow, yeah. Higgins. Yes. Um, I think their whole wide receiver crew is on rookie contracts. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. Uh, yeah. They're, they're, they're really in fat city and, uh, and uh, yeah, they're going to be very, very tough this season because they are on rookie contracts 
and it is not a salary cap friendly offense in general, mm-hmm. but because they managed to get everybody all at one time somehow, uh, they're, you know, they're really a threat right. and it can really work for them very well. So uh, what does it say about Stefanski's offense? Like, well, what? okay. In general, what Stefanski likes to do and, and correct me if you, if you think otherwise, but, uh, he likes to play uh, an extra tight end, so line up with two tight ends. And oftentimes, he likes to line up with a fullback. And, um, all right, now people don't really like fullbacks that much. They say, oh, man, this is modern uh, day NFL. Uh, who likes fullbacks? And we don't even really like running backs that much. Um, there's a considerable school of thought that says you should never draft fullbacks in the, or excuse me, halfbacks, running backs, tailbacks. Uh, you should never draft <coughs> the guy in the first round. You know, like in 2018, uh, the Giants got all kinds of flack for drafting Saquon Barkley in the first round, and perhaps that's rightly so, even though there was no question that he was one of the uh, probably two or three best uh, running backs in the land. I, mean, I, I kind of like Nick Chubb for reasons we'll get into in a little bit later. Uh, but uh, I, I will say, I will say I did write an article before that draft saying that Nick Chubb was the best running back in the class and that Saquon Barkley is going to have to reinvent his game to be successful in the NFL. And that's what he had to do in New York. He had to reinvent his entire game. And now I think they're trying to extend him. So yeah, well, I, the I New York Giants, you- man. My theory about the running game is that what you want to do with the running game in today's NFL is you want to win between the tackles. You want to be the absolute best short yardage offense that you can be because the passing game has the job of making six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 yards, not the running game mm-hmm. in today's NFL. So, um, you know, you, there are easier ways to make seven yards than to do it on the ground. So the fact that, that Saquon Barkley is a great breakaway runner is true, but it may not be as valuable as you think. It's really spectacular mm-hmm. for the fans, but there are other ways to make seven yards. So, um, But anyway, yeah, so I liked Nick Chubb on the grounds that he was much better running up the middle, and he was going to get you uh, that one yard on fourth down that you needed more reliably than Saquon Barkley. And so I liked him better. And I think I also wrote an article to the same uh, to that same point, and uh, that's why I'm also very excited about having a right tackle um, or you know an extra uh, lineman that you can put in that weighs 375 pounds. I think that's a great concept, and I also like the fact that you have a, a fullback. Um, you, you know, the Browns use um, extra offensive linemen as fullbacks. And so all of a sudden we have these 300-pound guys that play fullback and a 375-pound extra linemen that really allow them to be incredibly tough on short yardage situations with Nick Chubb to carry the rock. Mm-hmm. And that's my idea of what the running game is supposed to be, is be absolutely the best uh, short yardage offense in the NFL. That's what I want to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, okay, so uh, so why is that so great? Well, okay, because uh, it's cheaper to pay Nick Chubb uh, than it is to pay uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Um, you know, when 
I don't know what the the uh, maximum salary is for um, wide receiver, but the cap hit I would guess is probably I should look it up, but it's uh, probably like twenty five million dollars or something like that. And uh, Nick Chubb is probably something a little bit more than half of that. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what it means to be cap friendly. Is that uh, for whatever reason the pay scale uh, favors the uh, running back? The uh, tight ends um, are getting to be pretty pricey these days. Uh, tight ends can block. Um, some of them can. Some of the, yeah, the ones at the high end of the pay scale obviously can. And um, but yet they're they're not as expensive as wide receivers. You're better off investing in tight ends uh, than you are in wide receivers. So you, so if you go two tight ends. And a wide receiver, wide receiver, that's better than having three wide receivers and a tight end. And certainly, if you're getting mileage from a fullback, a really good fullback, uh, you know, is somebody that you might pay uh, $2 million for. And, uh, you know, if that's uh, substituting for a number four wide receiver, that guy might be a $6 million guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, your fullback, you might really be a devastating guy, and your your uh, opposing defenses may not be prepared to stop him because they're all uh, geared up to stop four wide receivers, you know, multiple wide receiver sets. So that's why the uh, the layout or, or the I don't know what to call it, but the the makeup of the uh, Stefanski offense uh, is really salary cap friendly. And um, I, in I a way, it's like it's going counter what the NFL is paying for, right? So the NFL is paying yeah. for the receivers. You're you're paying for the quarterback. <clears throat> you're paying for um, the tight ends to go in and catch passes because, um, you know, as you said, these are the ones who are getting you your yards. So if the Stefanski offense, which is really this Kyle Shanahan kind of San Francisco 49er style offense, where you've got the fullback, you've got the running back, you got tight ends that block. It becomes cheaper, in your opinion, to run this style of an offense. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's obtain, your argument, right? Obtain quality mm-hmm. uh, for a lower price. I still want to throw the ball. I, I'm uh, if you have the quarterback, if you have a guy like Deshaun Watson, you still should be throwing the ball more than you run it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you might be throwing it in a different way uh, rather than than throwing the long ball, um, you, you know, like to uh, Jamar Chase, or like the Bengals do. Mm-hmm. You might be throwing it uh, to, uh, let's say, Njoku. You might be throwing it to Nick Chubb uh, as a way of, uh, you know, getting ground control, uh, you know, grind it out kind of offense, but uh, doing it through the air rather than uh, with a uh, – uh, long ball like the Bengals might be doing. Right. But, I, I think it'll be interesting coming up this next season because, you know, they brought in, I can't even think of his name, the, the guy they just brought in to help with the offense who runs a lot of multiple option, RPOs, read option kind of stuff, offense. And you wonder if the Browns offense is going to look like that outside zone stuff. They brought in a lot of receivers um, over the over the last year, and I, you wonder if they're going to put two tight ends on the field when they have 
three, four wide receivers that are viable options to put on the field. And if they're not going to try some kind of, uh, you know, <clears throat> I can't think of the guy in Cincinnati, you know, Joe Burrow, uh, Zach, I can't think of his head coach's name. Zach Taylor, uh, Zach Taylor who comes mm-hmm. out of that same kind of um, outside zone offense that basically said, hey, we got a quarterback. We're going to throw it all over the yard. You wonder if the Browns are going to try that this year. They're going to try to throw it all over the yard. So well, I, I don't know. Will. At times, but but they they I think uh, will be based off of a quarterback option uh, uh, concept where, mm-hmm. and you could run that whole zone read off or the whole uh, outside zone offense through shotgun if they wanted to, and put read options off of it, which a lot of teams do. So, Elliot, we're up on a commercial break here. Um, so let's take our commercial break and we come back. Let's talk about Ezekiel Elliott. Let's do that. All right, so going to commercial break, guys. Hang on. When we come back, we'll talk about Ezekiel Elliott. All right, Elliot, we're back. Thanks for uh, hanging on, guys, through the break. Um, Elliot has some news about Ezekiel Elliott, his namesake. Yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, just in case. Well, I guess I got a question. Has Ezekiel Elliott dated a Bengals cheerleader? That I don't know. I have to ask him. <laughs> but um, the, uh, you know, this has been suggested uh, by every team in the NFL that, oh, my team might be trying to sign Ezekiel Elliott. So, uh, you know, this is not a new rumor. But mm-hmm. what maybe gives it additional oomph is that uh, it appeared recently in an article by uh, Sports Illustrated. Um, now, normally, you would probably just trash this rumor because it doesn't really make that much sense. Why? Well, because the Browns have Nick Chubb. So why would the Browns want to have Ezekiel Elliott? Um, but I'll give you a reason why, and it's based on the, what we've been talking about just now. Uh, the Browns... Uh, First of all, don't uh, have Kareem Hunt. And uh, we always like to have, uh, especially when the Browns were not, when, when the Browns were struggling at quarterback, there was an advocacy that we should have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb in the same backfield. Um, but let's ask ourselves, well, how would you do that? What would you do if you had uh, both uh, Hunt and Chubb in the backfield together, which the Browns actually did very well in 2019. And the answer is, is that one of those guys has to play slot receiver and the other guy is at running back. And then you switch them back and forth. And uh, that's what we did with the Todd Monk in offense. And uh, in that case, Nick Chubb had a lot of pass receptions and so did Kareem Hunt. Um, But I'll tell you what, uh, Kareem Hunt is not a fullback and he's never going to be a fullback. He's not going to, you know, really be uh, blocking that well. well. I don't mean to say he's a bad blocker, but that's not really his his forte. But mm-hmm. if you had Ezekiel Elliott in the same backfield uh, with uh, Nick Chubb, how would you use Ezekiel Elliott? And I think that uh, Ezekiel Elliott would be an awesome blocking back as well as still being a threat to receive the ball. Uh, He's not as elusive as uh, Kareem Hunt, um, but I think it would make a lot of sense um, 
uh, to use him as a pass receiving fullback uh, in the back. So you would line him up as a fullback? I would with okay. uh, with Nick Chubb in the same backfield, absolutely. So I think Ezekiel Elliott would make more sense if he were going to come to the Browns. I'm not sure I'm on board with something like this, but if Ezekiel Elliott would be signed by the Browns, he would make more sense as a third down back like Kareem Hunt was, like his role. You come on the field at third down, you're either in there in the pocket blocking for the quarterback or you're doing kind of little flare routes or dump off routes because Ezekiel Elliott can catch the football and he can block those are his strengths. His strength is no longer running up the middle and bowling over people yeah, like, like a fullback does. I don't think he does that anymore. I think he's done that in his career. He's gotten beaten up, and he's losing a step, and he's losing some power. But put him out on a route, he might be able to win one-on-one, run over somebody one-on-one after catching the ball. So there might be some value there, but you can't expect Ezekiel Elliott to show up and be the Ezekiel Elliott of Ohio State playing in Cleveland because if he was he'd still be in Dallas no no, but but look at what Deshaun Watson did a few years ago where he had uh, Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde Uh, those guys were rags well I shouldn't say they were rags but they were not nearly as effective in Cleveland they Mm -hmm. both went uh, to Houston and they played with Deshaun Watson and uh, and they had like 1,700 yards of, uh, uh, of uh, offense uh, playing with Deshaun Watson. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think um, Carlos Hyde had 1,000 yards rushing, didn't he? I have no idea. I don't pay attention to Houston Texans. No, I mean, it was unbelievable how good they were. <laughs> I mean, they, well, they it's had- funny. It's funny when you have a quarterback that can throw. And all of a sudden, you're interested in stopping the pass because you can throw it to DeAndre Hopkins. Now you're concerned about stopping that end. You're pulling a safety out of the box. So if you can get numbers in the box versus your opponent, then someone like Carlos Hyde can rush for 1,000 yards. Elliot, you're making the point that you shouldn't sign a running back to a second contract (laughs) because you don't need to pay somebody $5 million when you can get somebody on a rookie contract to do the same thing. No, but both of that wasn't rookie contracts. Those were both uh, retreads contracts, and they were outstanding with Deshaun Watson. Uh, let's see, that was uh, that was 2019, um, and those dudes. Let's see, let me just look it up. Um, okay, rushing and receiving. Duke Johnson. Okay, all right. When he I, wasn't I, hurt. I undersold him. Excuse me. I beg your pardon. Duke Johnson at 820 total yards from scrimmage. 820. Carlos Hyde had 1,112 yards from scrimmage, and uh, including uh, over 1,000 yards rushing. So together, that was 1,932 yards from scrimmage between two backs that the Cleveland Browns didn't even want. So that's uh yards from scrimmage. That's, that's Duke un- Johnson. Is that Duke Johnson is the third down back and Carlos Hyde as the first and second down back. That's well, what that they, sounds they, like. They, they were in the game a lot together. Okay. And uh, you know Duke Johnson was sort of the big guy that either uh, toted the rock or he blocked for uh Duke. And then Duke also, you know, he uh you know made those little chip blocks uh, for uh, Carlos Hyde too. 
and just slowed people down enough that Carlos Hyde got open, and they were very, very effective. And then Deshaun Watson was Deshaun Watson. And Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, everybody was great together. Deshaun Watson had 3,800 yards passing and uh, also contributed uh, another 400 yards rushing. So uh, it all worked together very well. They had Mm -hmm. uh, two running backs that were on the field together a lot. And uh, I think they, let's see, who did they have to catch the ball? Uh, I think that they had, um, okay, they had DeAndre Hopkins, who had over 1,000 yards, Mm -hmm. and uh, Will Fuller. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Jordan Fuller was the deep threat. Fuller had uh, uh, 670 yards, Kenny Stills, and they had had two tight ends. They had, uh, they used the two tight end offense with Jordan Akins and Darren Fells, Another former Cleveland Browns, uh, they had 25 starts between them, which means, in other words, that uh, they were uh, uh, running the two tight end offense uh, at least. Um, well, let's see. Let me take this back. That was the model. That was the model under. Um, well, I can't think of his name, but it's the same model they ran in in New England with Tom yeah. Brady. When you've got the two tight Ryan, ends that. Yeah. The, the O'Brien the, was a, the head coach, Bill O'Brien. Yeah, who, Bill O'Brien system. Yeah. Not the greatest uh, general manager, but I think he's a really good offensive mind. And so they, yes, of, they, mm-hmm. the tight ends combined for um, uh, um, uh, 14, 15. Okay, they had 16. Wait, no, 25. 26 they had 27 total starts so they had two tight ends start the game more often than not right and that, that's so that offense was predicated upon the the gadget player as opposed to say like um debo samuel or somebody as a gadget player the gadget player was the tight end if you could get the tight end to catch passes block and you know be a fullback and then you had two of those kind of people as you could get into all kinds of different formations where you could have those tight ends be wide receivers, then they're wide, then they're running wide receiver routes. Had those tight ends be blockers, inline blockers, then you have extra linemen. That multiplicity mm-hmm. is what the Belichick offense is about. It's mm-hmm. it's being able to put two tight ends on the field, forcing the defense to put a package to match the two tight ends, then spread them out as wide receivers and have these big giant tight ends on tiny corners or linebackers that they can go out and outrun. So that I want to support your argument by saying that the tight end situation there was unique in that they used them as wide receivers and they used their running backs as fullbacks and halfbacks both. Yeah. Right. So I don't know if the Browns run that same style of offense, but I could see how, you know, you could save some money on the cap room that way. Mm hmm. Well, yeah, Ezekiel Elliott would not be cheap. He would be uh, one of the uh, most expensive, if I call him a fullback, he would be in the upper, let's say, five uh, uh, fullbacks in the NFL because there's probably only like like even like eight fullbacks total. In the I, I think the 49ers and the Ravens have fullbacks. Yeah, well, those guys are like six and four million dollars a year, respectively. So, um, but yeah, uh, let's uh, let's uh, 
like a hybrid. He, he could mm-hmm. be either position. And he would not be full-time. I think he's past the point where he would be in every down back anyway. Yeah, you'd have to use him sparingly. Let, let's move on to our next topic here. Mason Rudolph has re-signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, I'm going to start off on this one because I think this is just absolutely pointless. I don't even understand why it's news. The Steelers are committed to Kenny Pickett. They've got Mitch Trubisky as the backup. But Trubisky, for whatever he's going to do, he's going to try to mentor Kenny Pickett. They just signed an undrafted free agent, so Mason Rudolph is basically there to like compete with the undrafted free agent to see who gets to be the third quarterback. I, I don't understand why this is news, except that there's no NFL news going on. Well, I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't think it's a surprise. I don't think that it is uh, uh, a, a shock in in any kind of sense. But the Steelers always sign three good quarterbacks. They always do every year. Uh, I really like Mason Rudolph. I think he's a good quarterback. I had to sign him for the Browns, except that he doesn't get along with uh, Miles Garrett, who's our Yeah, best. let's interject this for a second. Mason Rudolph, by the way, who we're talking about, is the guy that Miles Garrett hit over the head with a helmet. And there's been some you know, controversy over what was said, what was not said. Swing at him. Uh, with actually. But uh, they did get No, I think... But this this was the whole controversy. He was indefinitely suspended from the NFL. Then, of course, there's Aaron Donald double-fisting helmets against Bengals players, and nobody said a, a word, but I digress. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I think that, you know, I, I really think that, um, yeah, that game was very unfortunate. I think the Browns were, my sense was that even before that happened, that, the uh, coaching staff allowed the Browns to get out of control in trying to play like uh, the 1970s Oakland Raiders. It was a mistake, um, and that uh, they were just too uh, too rowdy and uh, undisciplined. And uh, the the coaching staff was at fault, I believe. Uh, they contributed mightily to the atmosphere that led to that uh, confrontation. And uh, it was just bad all the way around. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, contributed to Mason Rudolph losing his starting job. Well, uh, I think, I think there's some stuff that we're not being told. I don't want to get into the whole thing, but they, they've, the Steelers have re-signed him. Right. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't, I mean, they've got an undrafted free agent. They've got four camp arms. Well, I'm not I'm sure what Mason Rudolph is about. No, Mason Rudolph will make the roster. He's fine. The undrafted free agent, they'll uh, cut. He will clear waivers, and they'll keep him on the practice squad for a while. Probably. No uh, it's a it's a perfectly fine plan. Uh, I think Mason Rudolph can start in the NFL. He's good enough to do that. I don't know that he's, you know, uh, going to make all pro. But, so I think uh, this is where we disagree. I don't think Mason Rudolph can start in the NFL. So I think he came out of that. He came out of Oklahoma State, didn't he? Yes. The, the same Brandon Whedon offense, the, the same air raid stuff at Oklahoma State. And, and I, I don't rant enough about the air raid offense enough, in case you haven't heard me rant about an air raid offense. The air raid offense, basically people read wide receivers. They look where corners are lined up, where the secondary is lined up. The receivers run a route based on that alignment 
or how the receiver or the corner adjusts to their firing off. This is the traditional air raid system. So the quarterback is basically watching to see what the receiver does, waits for a receiver to make a move, and then once the receiver is committed to a move, throws the football. Okay, so what someone like Mason Rudolph doesn't do is throw with anticipation because he's waiting to see what the receiver is going to do. He's been taught this since he was really little. And then you want to come to the NFL and you want to learn something completely different where this guy's going to make a cut after three steps and you have to hit him on his fourth step. So when you drop back your third step on your third step, your three step drop back, that ball has to be going to a spot and you have to trust that receiver is going to be there. You have to rewire their brains from an air raid offense into a pro style system. And I don't think that happens at the NFL level very well. The only one I've seen successfully do this is Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes was an, a really, really smart student coming out of, out of uh, Texas tech. So he may be an outlier, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think Mason Rudolph's an outlier. I think he's just kind of like, this is what he is. He's a guy that you throw in there as a placeholder and you hope he doesn't do anything stupid. Yeah, well, okay, but for a third-string quarterback, that's pretty good. Um, we may never Okay, that is my point, that he's not an NFL starter. <laughs> okay, you can have him as a third-string quarterback. Go for it. I just don't think you're going to put him starting anywhere. Yeah, well, okay, yeah. We, we uh, you know, the plan is that, uh, um, you know, we only see him if Mitch Trubisky gets hurt. And we only see Mitch Trubisky if Kenny Pickett gets hurt. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, what do you want really from a quarterback? Or, but you, but the, the Steelers did very well with assembling three uh, quarterbacks uh, for their quarterback room, I think. Um, I, I have no complaints with uh, what they've done. I think they're, they're doing a pretty good job. I just want the NFL to release the audio of what happened that night with Miles Garrett. That's all I want. I want, I want the NFL, their video proof of the parabolic mic pointed right at them. Then the NFL comes out and says, well, you know, we don't keep it. And Miles Garrett was mic'd up and there was somebody else in that area that was mic'd up for like NFL films mm-hmm. or whatever they do. And they claim that they don't have microphones on during the play. And that's why they don't have audio. The audio exists because the very next week, and they've been doing it every week since in the NFL, they come out with this mic'd up, and there's always people talking in the middle of a play mic'd up. So is it only that one play you didn't mic up? The NFL doesn't make any sense on this one. And, you know, Miles Garrett has his claims, and Mason Rudolph has his claims. But there's one way to resolve the whole situation. Take the audio that we know the NFL has and release it then we know if Miles Garrett is out there making up lies and we know if Mason Rudolph has the ability right now to sue him for libel or excuse me for, for uh, defamation because he's claiming he's a racist. Just release the audio. It's that simple. And it's all over. Of course, you know, if you just forget about it and pretend it like we're just going to blame Miles Garrett and then, then it's all over now. But you know, sticking your head in the sand like an ostrich doesn't have, doesn't force the NFL to deal with a race issue that it doesn't want to deal with potentially. <laughs> There's my rant on Mason Rudolph. Yeah, you knew Rudolph. this was coming. You had to know this was coming. I, I have very strong opinions about Mason Rudolph. Although I have friends who live in Rock Hill, South Carolina, where Mason Rudolph is from. And I know they'll be mad at me for like dissing on Mason Rudolph, but I, I don't I, know. I, 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 tried to I couldn't make a judgment one way or the other, but uh, I, uh, 
Uh, the NFL has the audio on that. They have the not to both players, but um, they claim they don't have the audio. It's real simple. Somebody's making one statement. Somebody's saying another statement. Just release the audio, and we know who's telling the truth, and it's over with. The only reason you don't release the audio is there's something on the audio that would create a larger issue that the NFL does not want to deal with, namely a race issue or something else that we're not aware of, and therefore the audio has not been released and will never be released. And so I think Miles Garrett got a raw end of the deal on this that I think what happened was we got something created for us as an audience. We had a villain handed to us and then they punished the villain and everyone felt like, Oh, the NFL handled this great when it was just a big show. Speaking of the big show, we're on to our final thoughts, Elliot. What are your final thoughts? I need to get off this miles gear thing. Well, um, gee, now I'm just really thinking about going back and looking at the tapes and I really hadn't thought about that, but, um, uh, I love Miles Garrett. Um, I I believe in Miles Garrett. Um, no, I think Miles Garrett's a fool, but whatever. No, I don't think he is. He can play football. He can play football, but I think he just does some I think dumb he's stuff. The greatest player that the Browns have have had in uh, in my lifetime. Uh, well, okay, no, I think. Okay, come on, Elliot. I remember Jim Brown? <laughs> Jim come Brown on, is Elliot. Player in uh, my lifetime, but uh, Miles Garrett is just awesome. Yeah, Miles Garrett is good for what he does. He's going to be challenged this year to do something different. We'll see if he can. Oh, adapt. you're going to see something different, man. We've got we we had terrible support for Miles Garrett the past few years. Mm-hmm. This is this is not your father's Cleveland Browns, man. This is going to be different. All right, so uh, with that, I think we need to wrap up here. Um, yeah, we went into double overtime today. We did. We went into triple overtime. All right, so everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Football Philosophy and Rocket Science, a Cleveland Browns podcast. Please like, subscribe, and tell all your friends to give a listen. You can follow Joel on Twitter at The Left Guard and Elliot at The Village Elliot.